In my kind of anticipating 2018, I've learned not to do these kind of news resolution things and what have you because they don't last. And unless they are grounded in what God has said, it just doesn't, they don't work. And so, you know, through a series of events, I landed up in the following text. So if you can turn with me, I will put it up on the screen. But if you've got it in your Bible, it's going to be quite small. It's 2 Chronicles chapter 15 and verse 1. So I'm going to read and then explain kind of where it was because what happened was at the end of last year, Steve and I and, and Louise and, and Helen felt that we would be preaching on a series of unity. As we move on to our land, we need agreement and unity to take us into what God has for us. If we don't have agreement, we, God doesn't command his blessing and his life, as it says in the Psalms, in terms of unity. So we were going to be doing that, and then through a series of events, what's happened is, is that I've landed up in this text, and we're going to start here. So let's start. Second Chronicles chapter 15 and verse 1, it says, Now the Spirit of God came upon Azariah, the son of Oded. And when he went out to meet Asa, he said to him, Hear me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin. The Lord is with you while you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. For a long time, Israel has been without a true God, without a teaching priest, and without law. But when, in their trouble, they turned to the Lord God of Israel and sought him, he was found by them. And in those times, there, were no, there was no peace to the one who went out, nor to the one who came in. But great turmoil was on all inhabitants of the land. So nation was destroyed by nation, and city by city. For God troubled them with every adversity. And in this text, which I'm wanting to focus on, which is the kind of hinge of all of it, it says, But as for you, be strong and courageous, and do not let your hands be weak, for your work shall be rewarded. And when Asa heard these words, the prophecy of Oded, the prophet, he took courage and he removed the abominable, abominable, sounds like the abominable snowman, eh? How do you say that? Abominable. Abominable, that, that word, idols, from all the land of Judah and Benjamin and from the cities which had been taken in the mountains of Ephraim. And he restored the altar of the Lord that was before the vestibule, see I got that one right, of the Lord. Then he gathered all Judah and Benjamin and those who dwelt with him from Ephraim and Manasseh and Simeon, for they came over to him in great numbers from Israel when they saw the Lord his God was with him. So they gathered together in Jerusalem in the third month, in the 15th year of the reign of Asa, and they offered the Lord at that time 700 bulls and 7,000 sheep. Can you imagine what that looked like from the spoil that they had had brought? And they entered into a covenant to seek the Lord, the God of their fathers, with all their hearts and with all their soul. And whoever would not seek the Lord of Israel was put to death. I stop there and pause for effect. Whether small or great, whether man or woman. Then they took an oath before the Lord with a loud voice, with a shouting trumpet and with ram's horns. And all Judah rejoiced at the oath, for they had sworn with their hearts and they had sought him with all their soul. And he was found by them. And the Lord gave them rest on every side. And so during the holiday season, Louise uh, found this uh, one-page document, which basically we, we looked at last year, and it, was, it had these different aspects to it. It said, what were your highlights of 2017? What were your disappointments? What have you learned? What have you forgotten? And, and things like that. And then the last thing at the bottom, it said, okay, so what would the word be that you feel God would give you for 2018? And the word that God gave me was courage. And so when I started to kind of then just look at the year, and then God reminded me, as Steve said just now, is that 
when I was just, we'd just been married, I was probably about the age of 26, 27, and uh, I had this, this, this kind of flood of prophetic words that came over me saying, you're a Joshua, you're going to lead people into a new land. Now at the time, it's kind of like, okay, cool, whatever. But what has transpired is obviously what's about to happen is we're about to move in, onto our new land. And so it became quite evident for me that this was, that God was speaking to me around having courage. And, um, oh, it's gone. That's a pity. So I'll define what courage says in the, in, the, in the dictionary. It says, just by the way, this thing's overheating. I think there's dust and stuff that's gotten over December, so we'll need to clean it out. But it says, courage is the quality of mind and spirit that enables a person to face difficulty, danger, pain, without fear. All right, and I think many of us would understand that, that there's courage. You, you, you've got this context, and you've got to forge through it, and you, it's a battle, and you've got to wield in a sword, or whatever the case is. But there's a second part of courage that I want to speak on this morning. So as much as I'm speaking on that first part, I'm highlighting the second part. It's having the boldness to act on one's convictions and belief in spite of the opposition or the criticism or the context that you may find yourself. So I saw a post on Facebook by a friend of mine who leads a church in Dubai, and he quoted this particular text, and verse 7 of this text. And again, it just jumped out at me, this thing of courage. And so I started to read up on it, and I read the whole text, which obviously I've just read to you now. And I realized that actually God was speaking to me around courage. And so I went, and I spoke to Steve, and I, and I spoke to, to Richard, and I, I spoke to Louise and uh, the admin team with Paul and uh, Dale and Charmaine, and I shared with them as we planned the year during the week. I'm not sure if this is a personal word for me, because I've prepared this thing on unity, but I'm not sure that we're quite there yet, and I'm feeling like God's wanting to speak to this to the church, but what do you think? Because sometimes I think we get prophetic words, and God's speaking to me, or He's speaking to you. He's not asking you to share it to the, to the world, because He's wanting to take you on that journey. And too often we share that, and we put that on other people, and people feel the weight of it. But there was a unanimous thing, no, no, that this is, this is for... This is for the church, and this is for not only the church, but for South Africa. And so I started in this process, and I, is the thing still going? All right. I wanted to show you this picture because, it, for me, it kind of gave me a picture of, of, of what it is. But the verse is, but you, Gary, but you, South Africa, but you, life us, take courage, and do not let your hands be weak, for your work will be rewarded. And then I realized when us, we, Steve and I sat and after we'd read through the text together and as we kind of pondered before God, okay, what is, where is God going to take us? We realized that what God wanted to do in this particular text was take us on a couple of week journey. So we're going to be here for a little bit in this particular text because there's so much in it. Otherwise, you'd be here the whole day as we try to unpack it. So let's look at who Asa was. Now, I know there's Oded and Asa. These are really un- unfortunate names in our current culture. But the point is, is Asa was the son of Abijah. He was the third king of Judah. Remember, Israel and Judah had split up, and he was the third king of Judah. And if you go to Matthew chapter 1, you will find out that Asa is part of Jesus' genealogy. He had just returned from this massive victory, and I'm going to share some more of that with you in a moment. But he returns from this massive victory against what they call the Cushites, which were the Ethiopians. And there were millions that were coming against them, and they were a couple of hundred thousand, and God gives them this crazy victory. So he's just come back from that, and now the prophetic word comes from this prophet, and the message is, yeah, you've fought an amazing battle, and you've gained a victory, but actually your biggest battles are still ahead of you. I don't know about you, but I kind of go, oh, wow. What is God trying to say? And I felt like God is saying to me, Gary, you faced 
some big battles over the last couple of years. And yes, you've overcome, but your biggest battles are ahead of you. Now, as I said, it speaks into our nation, doesn't it? Because if you read that text again, what you will see there are these words like they were without peace, that there were people turning on one another, that they were in turmoil. That speaks of our country, doesn't it? Now, yes, so Ramaphosa coming into power or at least being, being uh, elected as the leader of the ANC and all those good things is that, yes, the reign is strengthened and there seems to be a little bit better positive sentiment and all those kind of things. But as Steve says, our, our trust isn't in Cyril Ramaphosa. Our trust isn't in the ANC. Our trust isn't in the DA. Our trust isn't in man. Our trust is in God. But nevertheless, we find ourselves in a place and in a country that is in turmoil. There's still quite a journey to, to navigate in, into the future. And, and at Lifehouse Church, we've faced some big battles. We've faced the big battle of landing up on our, you know, building what we've built across the road and we're going to move on. But there are going to be even bigger fights that we're going to face this year. And as individuals, I see all the posts on Facebook, and not only just this community, but people saying we've got big decisions to make in whatever the case is. And I'm trusting that this morning what you walk away with is that your big decisions are probably going to require courage. Because if you're not making those decisions with God and letting God lead you in those decisions, you're going to land up in a really bad place. And I'm going to show you what happens to Asa in a moment. Your inheritance is based on what God has said for you, not based on what man has said and based on what you feel. So let me ask you this question. How many struggle to spend time with God? You don't have to put your hand up. I'll put it up for you. We live in a city in a context, the busyness, kids and, and schooling and whatever else. I put a calendar together for this year, and then we got the calendar. And as you know, Jordan and Jen are starting a new school. We got the calendar for Red Hill and the calendar for Kings. And, and I'm like, oh, my word. How are we going to fit all of this in? The calendar for the church, the, the calendar just to, to connect with people, all of that, and you land up with this calendar that looks like a Christmas tree. How, how are we going to do this? And, and if you look at what we need courage for, look at that text again. Just one a massive victory. All of these things. We need courage to spend time with God because as we draw near to Him, He will draw near to us. In the culture that we're in, that just takes our time, and we give it it's our time, we miss out on spending time with God, and if we don't listen to what He says, we're going to miss out on what He has for us. So, the text in verse 2 says, The Lord is with you while you are with Him. If you seek Him, He will be found by you. But if you forsake Him, He will forsake you. And in verse 13, And whoever did not seek the Lord the God of Israel was put to death, young and old. So if your, if your child doesn't seek God, cheers, six feet under. It seems crazy, doesn't it? In the Old Testament, and almost how brutal it was. But, but remember, because God had did say to us, He'll never leave us or forsake us. So we've got to make sure we understand what this text is saying. Deuteronomy 31.6, Joshua 1.5, Hebrews 13.5. God says He will never leave us or forsake us. Jesus says that no one will snatch Him out of no one will snatch us out of his hand. John chapter 10. Matthew 28. I will be with you always until the end of the age. So what is this trying to tell us? What does this forsaking mean? It's important to understand that there's a difference between a penalty of sin and the power of sin. What am I trying to say? I'm trying to say that the penalty of sin is eternal separation from God. When we come to salvation and in faith believe what's what Helen just spoke of, that we believe in the finished work of the cross and what Jesus did. We receive salvation by faith. 
And what happens is the penalty of sin has been placed on Jesus and no longer is placed on us. And we're able to walk into eternity no longer being eternally separated from God. Tick. I think everybody in this room is in that place. I'm trusting that you've accepted the finished work of Jesus. By faith, they've accepted it. So now you walk into this place where, okay, I no longer have that thing over me and I have a hope for the future. But now what happens is, is we've got the power of sin that comes up against us, don't we? And the power of sin is what happens is, is we've got this proclivity that we inherited from Adam and Eve to sin and our bodies are not saved. I've said this many times. Louise was supposed to make me a lemon meringue pie during the holidays. My body craves a lemon meringue pie. But I know that if I have way too many lemon meringue pies, or maybe she's actually helping me out here, I'm going to pour into a place where, yeah, I'm going to get more rounded than I am right now. And so we have this proclivity and this longing within our bodies that only gets saved on glorification day when Jesus returns. So now what happens is I had this power of sin, which Jesus has overcome to. But what happens is, is I, I thought of this thing. I know, I mean, how many of you saw those pictures of an aerial shots of our church? Okay, that was all thanks to Adrian. But I know that those drones, or remote control, whatever, car, whatever the case is, that there's a, there's a range. You can't take that drone to Pretoria, on, on a, but there's a range that if you let it go too fast, it's going to keep going. And what happens with us is in our busyness and whatever else, we get onto this treadmill of life and we go, we go, we go. And in a sense, there's God and we leave him behind. And there's like all of a sudden we go, oh my word, where's God? And you find yourself in a place where you're out of control. And the more we move away from God, the more the power of sin has a power over us. And we land up doing things. And now we start to make decisions based on fear, not based on faith. And we miss out on what God has for us. The power of sin, the wages of sin is death. So when we look at this text, what happens is, is if we do that, we land up dying slowly in fellowship and relationship with God. We don't lose the fact that we are sons and daughters of the Most High. We don't lose the fact that the penalty of sin is, is dealt, dealt with. But what happens is, is we lose fellowship, we lose connection, we lose intimacy, and we lose the voice of the Father because we're no longer with Him. And you know what that requires? That requires confession. 1 John. If we sin, we go to the one who is faithful and just, and we confess our sins to him, and he's faithful to forgive. That word is homologeo. Homologeo is the Greek word which means I say the same as God. I confess, actually, God, I am no longer a sinner. I am a saint. God, what you have done for me is you, Jesus, what you did is you've opened up the way to have relationship with you. And God, I've, I confess that me running off like this is, has caused a rift between us because God, you've done everything. Jesus has not forsaken us. Jesus has provided every aspect of what he needs to provide for us. He has given us, it's like you're 18 years old. I mean, I realize Jordan turned 17 this year. He gets your learner's license. <laughs> but let's say next year, your 18th birthday, we say to him, here's a brand new car, here's keys. Trust that that will happen. Right now, no chance. But trusting that that will happen in faith. But he takes those keys and he goes and he looks at the car and he goes back into the house. Jesus has done that. He's bought us the 18-year-old car. Or the 18-year-old, a car. Not an 18-year-old car. I've got an 18-year-old car. And, and, he, and he's given it to us. And it's up to us to take the keys, turn the ignition, get in the car and enjoy it. It's on us if we're not having a relationship with him. That's why James tells us, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. 
That's why in this context it's saying, if you spend time with him, he will spend time with you. Because he's already done all of it. He's provided every aspect of that and way to the Father. And remember, we're talking about time with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We're not just talking about time just with Jesus. Time just with Holy Spirit. Time just with Father. All of us, I think we have a proclivity to go to one or the other. And let Louise come and just share something that happened during the holidays with Ella. Uh, So Ella was playing in the pool and she had a big fight with her siblings, as siblings do. And I think the youngest one she always finds quite frustrating. And um, so I called her inside and I said, come, let's go deal with this. Because I'm big on let's forgive quickly and move on. So I said, come, let's, let's speak to Jesus. And then she starts, oh, I can't speak to Jesus. I can't see Jesus. And I said, no, my babe, this is a lie. Let's break the lie. No, I can't. And it was very dramatic at the time. And that's how she was feeling. That was where she, her reality of where she was at. So I tried to pray with her a little bit more, but she was really stuck. So I said, okay, my babe, tonight, we'll deal with it tonight. Let's leave it now. Jesus is with you. Let's go. You can go and play. And she kind of calmed down a bit. Anyway, that night at bedtime, I said to her, come, you know, I said, we're going to pray. Let's do this. But at that moment, Holy Spirit said to me, use me rather than Jesus. So I was like, oh, okay, you're clever. So, so I, said, I said to Ella, let's ask the Holy Spirit if you can see any picture or gift that he's given you. And immediately, I mean, um, it's not even, she goes, oh, I see a seed. And she was so excited. I can see something. And she goes, oh, just wait. Hang on, the seed's growing. And it grew into a blue rose. So I was like, oh, wow, that's amazing. And she was so excited that she could see immediately and everything. And I said to her, let me go look up. I have a dream dictionary that I often use for pictures. I said, because God's very clever. So I said, let's go and find out what this means. So I said to her, a seed means that it's your inheritance. It's the promise of God. She goes, yes, God's promising me that I will see Jesus. So she immediately made that link. I didn't have to do that for you, her. And then I said, a rose means Jesus. And she went, oh, wow. But blue means Holy Spirit. So it's through the help of the Holy Spirit that he will break down the lie that she can't see Jesus. And it's amazing how God just did that. I didn't even have to do anything. He just made the links for her. And she was so excited. The next morning, she was writing on her a drawing picture of a rose because I said it's always good to write this down and draw a picture. And so now that's her special thing that God and her and Holy Spirit at this time have. Here's the thing is that fellowship is based on agreement. Many of you who are married know that you can be in the same house. You can be married, but there's no fellowship. There's no intimacy. You can pass like ships in the night because you get so busy with what's happening with life. We can do the same thing with God. And there's an agreement to spend time and to fellowship and to have intimacy with God so we can hear his voice. Think of the prodigal son. The father just let him run. 
God will do the same thing with us. He will give us the desires of our heart, Romans chapter 1. If we want to go and work long hours and do all this stuff and leave God behind, guess what? He'll give that to us, and we will run until we come to the place of the prodigal son. We come to our senses, and we realize that the courage that God is speaking of is that we make time to spend with Him and draw close to Him, and then He will draw close to us, and He will speak clearly and send the word to us. So the wonderful thing is, is that Jesus came to deal with both the penalty of sin and the power of sin. And on top of that, the promise is, is like in this text, but when they were in trouble, they turned to God of Israel and he was found by them. God's promise says is he always will be found when we look after and when we come and fight, try and find him. So let me ask you this question. Where do we get courage? How do we get courage? I mean, Gary, you're talking about courage. That's wonderful. And like I said to God, okay, great. I've got courage. And my first thought was that, okay, rawr, let's do the roar of the Rhine and let the fire of God come out. And I'm, rawr, rawr, just get do it and do it and psych myself up. And when you're first in rugby and slap each other and let's just go for this year. But you know what? That'll last a little. And then, oh, wow. What just happened there? So where does courage come from? Well, verse 8, I'm glad you asked the question tells us. And when Asa heard these words, he hears the word of the Lord from the prophet Oded, he took courage. So courage comes from faith. So let's try and unpack this a little bit because we need to understand what this means because Paul, the apostle, tells us in Romans 10, 17, that faith comes by hearing the word of God. So, okay, so we're in this place, but then what is faith? Okay, faith, as you can see behind me, Hebrews 11, we've got a definition, thank goodness, in the Bible, because many things we don't have a definitive definition. It says, faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things unseen. So let's unpack this briefly. Faith, hopistasis, is the Greek thing. Hypostasis, eh? Hypostasis, as the Greeks would say it. It literally means, as you can see, to stand under. There's a real existence. There's a, there's a basic essence. There's an actual reality, a substance. And what's interesting, in, the, in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, it talks about where it says here, him being the brightness and the glory and the express image is the same word. So it's, it's the image. It's like having the photograph. It's like having what you've asked for. And it's receiving what you've prayed for when that image is replaced with the actuality. So it's like if I come to you and I say, okay, I, Jordan, Jordan, I bought you a car for your 18th birthday and I give him a, a photograph of it. The question is, does he, does he believe that he has it or doesn't he? Does he have, no, there's, there's an image, there's a, 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 replica, a replica of it. And whether or not he believes in it or not, he's got the replica of what it is. Let me rephrase that because I didn't say that well at all. He will believe because I'm his father, that because I've shown him the photograph, that has now become the evidence of the fact that he has a car. Because the evidence, as you can see there, is delicos, means a conviction or certainty or proof. So I've now proved to him that I've bought him that car, but he doesn't have the car yet. But does he believe in this process that he's actually got it, that he's got the replica, that he's got what he has, because he will know if he starts to act out in the way that that word, that he's got that car. So, let me ask you this. How do we know that we have faith? 
How do you know that you've got faith? Faith's not presumption. We saw what happened to the Egyptians when they tried to cross the Red Sea. As Larry Norman, those who remember his music, those dirty Egyptians had a bath. It wasn't it's not presumption. It's not wishful thinking. It's not faith in faith. It's not all those kind of things where I'm going, I've got to believe in this. I've got to. No, have you heard the word of the Lord? Have you heard or are you praying about something? Let's take Helen and Steve. They prayed for 10 years. We prayed many years with them for Zoe. What was brilliant, I don't know what year it was, maybe about year seven or eight, God gave Steve a picture of Zoe. And he said, you know what, even if I don't receive Zoe this, at this side of eternity, I believe that I have a daughter. And he started to speak it out and he started to walk it out. Abraham did the same thing, didn't he? The father of many nations without a child. <laughs> yeah, you're sure. He must have looked like a real nana, changing his name. Instead of being prince, changing his name to I'm the father of many nations. Oh, how many kids have you got? Um, none. But what he understood was he, he had the photograph. He understood that God had given him the word, that that's what he was going to do. And he started to walk out and speak out and do what he needed to do in terms of that process. And so this invisible spiritual substance, if I, if I gave you a definition of faith, it's the assurance that we have what God has promised before we see or experience it. And it also means, it's also the means by which we receive what God has given to us. So how do we... How do we know that we've got faith? In this context, what we see with Asa in verse 9, it says, Then what he did was he gathered all of Judah and Benjamin and all those guys, and they came in a whole bunch of numbers because they saw that the Lord God was with them. And then he starts, he obviously envisioned them. How do you know that God is with somebody? You can see it on them, but how do you see it on them? Behavior, just the, the way they speak. You know, you know you've got faith that if God has spoken to you about something, it's how you speak it out. Like I've said before, I had many people say to me, Gary, that land is not for you guys. Rather just sell it, use the money to kind of sustain you guys as a family, and actually let's, let's find something else. It's like, God, I, I, but, but you said. And I know it's hard, and I know it's going to take courage, and I know there's pain, I know there's difficulty, but God, you said. And what we do is we start to walk out, start to speak. I said, no, God has said. And I start to speak like that land and, and the building and everything's on it. We'll be on it. We'll be on it. And at times I overstepped that and I thought, we're going to be on it next week. Well, not next week, but I remember one kind of leader's time at the end of the year. We're going to be on in April. And meanwhile, April going, oh, jeez, we're not. But that was more kind of, I'm going to speak about this. I'm going to, my talk changes. Abraham, who's the father of our faith, he started out with weak faith. God says, you're going to be the father of many nations. Okay, God, nothing's working. I'm almost 100 years old. Oh, let me sleep with the maidservant and produce the Ishmael. Yes, and now I have a son. No, no, that's not the way what God has said. And up until this day, we can see because he didn't listen to God and because he didn't trust in God, we have wars and all kinds of stuff still happening to this day because of that. No, 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 let me believe and then it came to a place where he was fully persuaded that he was even willing to sacrifice the son that God gave him because he knew what God had said. So it's okay to start off with weak faith. Okay, God, she, 
Oh, am I going to be able to do that? Oh, gee, whatever. No, no, no. But God, you said, and keep reminding yourself until you are fully persuaded that no matter what happens, you start to speak it out. You'll know you have faith if you speak it out. Keep speaking it out. God has said, I've heard the word of the Lord. I'm speaking it out. What's the second thing that will happen? If you go to the next slide, please. What's the second thing that will happen? We start to act differently, don't we? Look, look, at, look at what Asa does. He does a whole bunch of things. He goes, he removes the idols. He restores the altar of the Lord. He gathers the people. He gives generously. He sought the Lord with all his heart and with all his soul, and they worship together. James tells us that. Faith without works is dead. We can say, no, we have faith in the land. So are you saving towards it? No. Um. Got faith in the land. Are you putting bricks down on the floor? No. What is God saying to you guys for this year? What has God said about South Africa? What is our speak about South Africa? How are we acting towards South Africa and to our fellow man? Oh, lady. How are we reacting to all of these things? Are we believing what God says? Or the minute Jacob Zuma does some other crazy thing or Malema does something crazy, oh, South Africa. Or are we going, no, no, God said. Yes, God, there's a bit of fear that rises up when I see something like that happen. But God, you have said. But God, you have said. Lifehouse Church, land, opposition. But God, you have said. In my own life, opposition, changes, things I never thought would happen. But God has said. Take courage, Gary. Don't let your hands get weak, Gary. Because your reward is great. The wonderful thing is God's love is unconditional. God's going to love us regardless. But guess what? His pleasure in us and of us is conditional. And what is it conditional on? Faith. Here's the scripture. And without faith, it is impossible. Let me say it again. Without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. That's the text we've just written, I mean, just spoken of in 2 Chronicles 15. Here it is in Hebrews 11.6, the same thing. He rewards those who earnestly seek him. And if we're not having faith and we're not close to him and we're not drawing close to him and we don't have a courage to spend time with him, we're not going to hear his word so that faith rises in our hearts, that courage rises in our hearts, that we're able to do what he's called us to do. You know that God actually gets excited not just pleased when we exercise faith. Think of that woman with blood. Remember, she's been ostracized by the, by, by the society. She cannot be where she is right now. She is full of fear and anxiety because if people see her and, and, and say something to her, they'll literally remove her physically. And she's fighting through the cl- cr- crowds just to touch Jesus. Her faith is all I need to do is just touch Jesus. And she touches him and he responds. And he says to her, your faith has made you whole. And there's a pleasure in Jesus in that process. Jesus is affected by our faith. He responds to our faith. So we can see the pleasure of God and faith are so intrinsically linked to each other. And so many of us shrink back from those things because we hit the hard times and we go, oh, come on. And yet in Hebrews 10, 38, but my righteous one will live by faith and I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. So what, if, what is God saying to you for this year? Maybe you go, oh, I don't know. Well, go get close to him so you can hear what he's saying. If Louise and I are together, I'm not going to know what her heart is unless I'm with her. 
unless I'm hearing her, unless our hearts are beating together, unless we are, we are talking about stuff. And when there's no agreement, there's no fellowship, I'm not going to hear, I'm not going to be able to allow faith to rise, courage to rise, and actually do what God has called me to do. Lastly, third one. I don't know if you can go, Joel, just, there's a, there should be three slides there. Is that uh, there's no more fear. See, fear is the thing that will stop us because the opposite of courage is to be discouraged. And normally we are discouraged because we are anxious and fearful about things. And fear is a form of unbelief which undermines our faith. So, in times of transitions, in times of new beginnings, when, I, when I've had conversations with a whole bunch of people here, I know of one, two, three, four, at least five of you that you're starting new seasons, other new jobs, new ventures, new things that are happening in your lives right now. We hit 2018 and the, the year is full of hope and anticipation and excitement. But in that, if fear takes a grip of us, we will not move into our inheritance. Can you imagine st- staying on the side of the Jordan River, Joshua, and, and it's in flood? If you go and, and, and Google what that would look like, it's crazy for them to even consider crossing over. And yet God said, and the minute they act, they've heard the word of the Lord and they act and the priests put their feet into the water, the water recedes and they're able to cross over. Guys, do you remember, seriously, do you remember in the 10, on the 10th, I don't know, about the 10th of August, we started pulling the, putting the pillars up in honor of land. Have you seen what's there right now? We can move in there in the next couple of weeks once we have the toilets in. It's, it's bizarre. And, and yes, there's reasons how it's happened, but if you had asked me four months ago, five months ago, would this be possible? I would have said, you're crazy. But what we do is we start to understand that in these moments, don't let fear stop us. There's always things that we're going to come up against. But if fear stops us, we're not going to go forward. I've mentioned this scripture so many times in this context. Is I love Jesus when he comes up to Peter and he says, Peter, Satan's asked to sift you. Now, I'm, I'm expecting the response to be, but don't worry, but I've got you. Don't worry, you're my rock. I'm building the church on your revelation. I've got you. He's not going to get you. Because that's what I would do. If somebody came and said, hey, I'm going to come after Louise, I'll say, well, you're going to come through me first. But Jesus doesn't do that, does he? He doesn't get in the way of Satan and Peter. He steps aside and he says, Peter, but I'm praying for you because I'm hoping that your faith will prevail. Because once you have prevailed, <laughs> once you have prevailed, you will turn back and strengthen your brothers. How many of us are sometimes feeling like our faith is failing? And yet what Jesus is saying, he is praying for us that our faith would rise up, that we would choose and have the courage to believe what God has said. We need to be in the presence of God. We need to draw close to him so he will hear what he's saying in every moment of what he said because sometimes things change, there's nuances, and then we walk it out, we speak it out, and we allow that to come and deal with the fear and anxiety in our hearts so that we can move into the inheritance that God has for us. So what happens? Remember I spoke to you about Chronicles 2 to Chronicles 14. Here's Asa. Remember he's, he's fought this big battle. And I want to show you there. 300,000 from Judah. They're equipped with swords. There's 280,000 from the Benjamin and shields and bows. But they are up against the Cushites who march against them. Army of thousands upon thousands and 300 chariots. Now you can see Asa's response. 
Asa goes out to meet them. This is this great, he calls on the Lord and he said, Lord, there is no one like you to help the powerless. They are feeling powerless. They're going, oh my word, we are finished. Look at the army in front of us and look at what we've got. Another kind of Gideon moment. And he says, but Lord, there's no one to help us because we are powerless against the mighty. Help us, O Lord. We rely on you. God, God, our trust is in you. We're relying on you and in your name to come against this great army. And then what happens is the Lord struck down the Cushites and they fled. Now, brilliant. Chapter 14, Esther's the man. Go through that. Chapter 15, gets to the word of the Lord. Esther's the man. He goes and he does all of what God has said he's going to do. And what happens is there's rest and reward that comes. But let's go to chapter 16. Okay? I'm not going to read through all of it. But look at, look at uh, chapter 16. And uh, what happens is in the 36th year, Asa's reign, there's this, uh, I don't know how you say his name, Baasha, king of Israel. So remember, Israel and Judah are separated. This guy comes up against Judah, and he starts to build this wall and to stop people from moving in and out the territory. And what Asa does is he takes silver and gold and treasures from the temple, number one, and from his own household. And he goes to this Ben-Hadid, king of Aram, and uh, he says, hey, let's make a treaty between you and me. We'll sort this out. plan. And what they do is you can see they conquered and they sorted the thing out. Now what happens is the word of the Lord comes again through a prophet. Verse 7. Hanani, the seer, came to Asa, king of Judah, and said to him, because you relied on the king of Aram and not on the Lord your God, the army and the king of Aram has escaped your hand. We're not the Cushites and the Libyans and the mighty army, great numbers and chariots and horsemen. Yet when you relied on the Lord, he delivered them into your hand. For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth, looking to strengthen those hearts who are fully committed to him. You have done a foolish thing. And from now on, you will always be at war. Goes on to say, verse 10, Asa gets angry at the seer because of this, and he puts him in prison. Isn't it amazing when people come and give us a word, a directional word we don't like? What do we do? We become bitter and resentful towards them. Let's not look at the messenger. Let's listen to what the word of the Lord is. And then it says, and Asa brutally oppressed some of the people. So now he becomes bitter and it flows out of him and he starts to hurt people. Then it says, Asa was afflicted with a disease in his feet. Though the disease was severe, even his illness, even in his illness, he did not seek the Lord, his God. So, so look at what happens, and I'm going to show you this to end off with. My little picture. When we don't seek God, when we just allow things to happen in our prayer meeting, Steve uh, lifted this thing up. It's, it's, it's seeking God in our bad times and our good times. Some of us seek God when things are not going well. We're like, yes, God, woo! And then we forget Him when things are going well because, hey, it's cool. Other people are actually brilliant at seeking God in the good times, but when the bad times come, they go, oh, God, how could you? And they stop seeking Him. So I don't know which one you are. But we, we need to be seeking God in both times. We need to be drawing close to God in both times. Because if we don't, what happens is fear rises up inside of us. And then we listen to what man's saying. And we bootmark a plan. And we make decisions based on what we think, based on our emotions, based on what we're feeling. And what lands up happening is death and war. Remember the good old drone? I'm moving away from God. I'm doing my own thing. Oh, God's not here. I think this is a good decision. Hey, will you help me? Boom. And death and war result. And then what happens is when things don't work out, we get all bitter and twisted. And then we start to hurt people because now it's your fault. We project our own insecurities and our own bad decisions on our friends and our family and the people closest to us. And ultimately, there's no peace. 
But God is with us when? God is with us when? We seek him with all our hearts and with all our soul. We hear the word of the Lord. We start to speak it out. We start to work it out. We start to act it out in terms of what we're going to be doing. There's no fear that rises because the fear starts to dissipate because God has said. There is absolutely no way that this community should have done what we've got across the road. It's not possible. But do you know the faith that is rising in fellow pastors across the city because of what we've done? And not just across the city, but across the world. How could you do this, Gary? I didn't, my friend. Let me tell you what God has done. And yes, through generosity, through God touching people's hearts. But the point is, is if you look again in this text, there's a worship. And there's lots to unpack in this text, and we'll do this in the weeks to come. But strength and courage come. God looks for people's hearts. He's actually looking for people. Ah, come. Strength and courage is instilled in their hearts. And what happens is he rewards them, and he gives them rest. So my charge to us this morning, my charge to whoever's listening to this on the podcast, is take courage. Take courage, my friend. Do not let your hands get weak because your reward will be great. And lastly, won't you seek the Lord with all your heart because if you seek him, he will be found. Won't you stand with me?